When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 16. And it was at the time so easy because I handpicked every employee. I could literally do my own quality control. I could stop in, I could meet with the customers, I could inspect the buildings. Everything went perfect. And then, I don't know, maybe around, I'm going to guess, employee 30, it started getting hard. Welcome to a real-world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. It's Jay Scott here with my co-host in red, or maybe that's pink. Mrs. Pink. It's always pink. This always is not pink. hard. It's always pink. Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Mrs. Carol Scott? Awesome, awesome day. But more importantly, how are you after your awesome weekend? I had an amazing weekend. So I spent the weekend with the hosts of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast and one of the hosts of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I was with uh, Brandon, David Green, and Scott Trench this weekend. Uh, we were all at a conference together, and it was awesome. It's actually a really great conference. We were in Seattle. Um, we drank a little bit too much, and we ate a little bit too much. And yeah, it was super fun. How was your weekend? Not as fun as that. Mine was great, but I know you had so much fun. Guys, I've got to tell you, Jay came home more energized than I've seen him in months. We've had so much good stuff going on, but I'll tell you what, all that was eclipsed by the awesome weekend he had. So thanks for spending some great time with him. I know he'd love the conversations and it's just really exciting stuff. We're really proud to be part of your community. Yeah, it was a great weekend. Okay. We have a really great show today. Our guest today is Jesse McHugh. For those of you who listen to the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, you've probably heard him before. He's been on that show talking about his property management company, but today he's going to talk about another company he owns. Yeah, you see, we are not focusing on property management today. What happened with his property management business is he kept getting all these phone calls that the cleaning was just not up to par. He called company after company, tried them all out, and then said, forget it. I'm just starting my own cleaning business. So that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, that was back in 2012. And since 2012, he's grown that cleaning business from no employees to over 130 employees. And in this episode, he's going to tell us all about how he did that by spending essentially no money on marketing. He's going to give us tips for how he's managed his cash flow in that business. And if you listen to the end, he's going to give us his number one secret for how he builds strong relationships with his customers. Yeah, he's going to tell us what he feels is the number one secret ingredient to maintaining and growing a service business, no matter what kind of service business it is. So make sure you listen all the way until the end. But before we jump in, let's listen to a word from our sponsor. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting-edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, thanks to Fundrise, that's no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry, thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Then visit Fundrise.com slash BP business. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com 
slash BP business, and you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com slash BP business. I own a bunch of rental property, and if you do as well, then this probably sounds familiar. You've got a vacancy, so you list your place on a bunch of websites, Craigslist, Padmapper, Zillow, Facebook. Then you get a bunch of applications for your property via email. Then you use yet another website to screen the applicants, and that's before you even have a tenant in the property. Well, here's a great way to keep everything in one place. Cozy provides property management tools to help you save time. So there's no need for keeping 20 tabs open in your browser. You can list, screen, collect rent, and track expenses and maintenance requests online. And the best part is, it's completely free. Plus, I'm an engineer, so I really appreciate this. Cozy's user interface is simple, intuitive, and pleasing to the eye. So whether you're frustrated with your current property manager or you've been doing everything manually, check out Cozy at Cozy.co and get your time back so you can do more of what matters. Again, that's Cozy.co. Give them a try today. So without further delay, let's bring on Jesse McHugh from Three Point Cleaning. Welcome to the show, Mr. Jesse McHugh. How are you doing today, Jesse? Good. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So good to have you here, Jesse. I'm so excited to hear your story. And you have so many different facets of so many different things that you've done. And I want everyone to hear some really great stuff. So I, I, let's skip like a formal introduction, okay? okay. I want to just, I'm going to go right to a question that's going to kind of lead <laughs> us to your whole story, okay? Okay. I want to know, Jesse, when was it that you first discovered that you had an entrepreneurial itch? And what did you do about it? I'd say the moment that it is most clear to me looking back was when I was working, uh, you know, like a lot of people, I'd worked a lot of different jobs, but when I was working for a resort management company and was kind of working my way up, you know, that career path. And after I think the 90th day I had worked in a row with no time off, my girlfriend, wife now, former girlfriend, had a family event, some people coming in town that she wanted me to be a part of. It was a busy week at the hotel and there was no way I could get it off. And I just remember thinking there's got to be a different way to do this. You know, I didn't mind working a lot. I always enjoy working. But I think that was the moment I started just looking at things differently, that I wanted to be a little more in control of my, not only my financial destiny, but my scheduling too. And it I just, can imagine. yeah, it just kind of, I, I never really had the itch as a kid. I don't have some, you know, fancy story of selling baseball cards or you know, or lemonade stand or anything. It just, both my parents were self-employed and I never really appreciated it probably as a kid. And then when I started going in my own career path and I started looking back at the lifestyle they were able to live and they weren't rich and famous by any means, but they, I just remember, you know, whether we were traveling or, you know, if I had basketball tournaments as a kid that they could always go to those things and do those things. And I started just looking at my, you know, I was in my mid twenties and was just looking down the road saying, huh, this is, this is how it's going to be forever. Even if the money keeps getting better in this, you know, career path I was in, my control of my time is never going to really change. Um, so so that, that just, was, the, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So you decided you were ready to control your own destiny. So what was the the first venture you attempted at that point? It just started with it. When I planted the seed that I just knew I want to do something different. I didn't have any big idea. And, and I didn't have some creative invention or anything like that. I just remember talking about it with family and friends all the time that, you know, I'd, that I'd rather do something more on my own. And I think that was the first step is just putting it out there. And it was actually my dad who, um, you know, mutual person, acquaintance of ours, um, a friend of his and somebody who had actually been my basketball coach as a kid. Um, and then coached my brother too. He had a small property management company. It was him and one other person in the office, basically doing his own stuff and a few other clients. And he put us in touch saying he was looking to transition out and was looking to take on, you know, a younger person to take over his third party stuff and just basically concentrate on his own stuff. And that all it was, was that was the first opportunity that I had, you know, I had 
that had come across my my path. And I talked to, you know, now he's my current business partner. His name's Paul Cook. Um, interesting guy. A lot of funny stories I could go into about him. But that was just the first opportunity. And him and I talked about it on and off. And what ended up happening was through the course of him and I trying to negotiate something. I So I came on and worked for him as an employee. And then we were working on a transition plan of how it would work for me to leave and do this on my own. And in that time, we just had a good time working together. And what was a small company at the time, and, and I won't take all the credit, I think I kind of woke something up in him too, that he was out there bringing in more business and doing things like that too. And the two of us just started all of a sudden in the in the frame of our negotiations, we had, you know, 200 more units that we're managing in a short time. And it's like, okay, maybe we should talk about doing this together uh, long-term. So yeah, that's what happened. So give us some context. What year was this? How old were you? And I I know, I think we didn't mention it, but this was uh, in Maine, correct? Yep. Up in Maine. And it was, you know, it was a big move. I was living in South Florida at the time. I went to college down in South Florida, graduated in uh, 2005 and was living down there, met my wife down there. I had a good job down there, but the opportunity that presented itself was all the way where I was born in Maine, but I hadn't been there since 2000. And it was all the way, it was 2009 when this opportunity came. And, you know, I just kind of said, what the heck? So the story I always tell everybody is I asked my uh, wife, a girlfriend at the time, I asked her, how do you feel about moving to Maine? And, you know, I remember she just kind of looked at me and paused And because we had lived in the city and I never wanted to get a pet living in the city, she said, can we get a dog? And I said, (laughs) that's our first thing. That was it. it. Can she get a dog? I said, uh, yeah, we can get a dog. So (laughs) yeah, it was 2009, uh, moved from South Florida all the way, uh, back up to Maine and started, you know, working as an employee at the time. And yeah, that's when it began. So what was the transition plan from employee to owner of the business? Yeah, it was really just going to be at the time like a, an owner finance situation where, you know, basically because I didn't have uh, any funding at the time. I, I didn't have a loan that I could go and just write him a big check. So it was going to be uh, we were just kind of negotiating back and forth in a very friendly manner because it was mutually beneficial at the time. He had some other things he wanted to do. And this was a good opportunity for him to, you know, sell the business. And it was really just owner finance terms we were working out, but those terms kept getting more complex when, um, hey, we just have another 50 units that are coming onto the business, you know? So it was a moving target. So you mentioned owner financing. And so for the listeners that aren't familiar with that, that basically means that you work with the seller of the business Mm -hmm. to basically, the seller of the business essentially acts as the bank. So they provide you a a loan and you pay off the the purchase price over some period of time. Can you talk a bit about how that was structured specifically? You don't have to go into numbers, obviously, but just a little Mm -hmm. bit about how the owner financing piece was structured. Yeah, the, the way it was supposed to work was that he just wouldn't have to work anymore and would still receive payments. So just like if you were buying real estate, he, you know, if you were selling real estate, you don't have to be involved with the, the real estate anymore. And he was going to be um, hands off, not have to take uh, any maintenance calls, not have to worry about leasing uh, buildings, not worry about financials, anything, and would still receive and, and would still receive a guaranteed monthly payment. And that would be the mutual uh, the benefit, the, the mutually beneficial arrangement would be then from there, I would have something to build from. And uh, rather than just starting from scratch, I'd have a better platform to continue to grow from. And then what I do with it from there would be mine. And like I said, that was still very much on the table. But what happened is we both started rapidly growing the business to where we saw, um, and I think he saw a vision for the first time as well, that we would have more employees and this would be to some extent, a little more passive to both of us, to where we we could both be working entrepreneurially rather than running around, you know, changing ceiling tiles, leasing apartments on our own and doing all that stuff. So we both just kind of saw that and it, and it worked out well. So 
still together to this day, actually. So. I love it. So it sounds to me like you mentioned earlier, Paul is your partner, right? Yes. Yep. And it's, I, I think I love, uh, I love this journey already, how I think it's fascinating that it was, I don't want to say it was as simple as, because nothing's ever as simple as, but I think you said something really powerful as far as you decided you want to do something different to control your destiny. You were tired mm. of working 90 days in a row and not seeing your girlfriend, now wife, et cetera. Mm. And you did one simple act, which was saying it out loud and putting it out there. Right. So I think that's just a really powerful thing to, to kind of take away from that, which led you to Paul. And then tell us more about you said you had maybe a couple interesting stories or even the fact that Paul suddenly became more energized. Right. Yes. And that what you're talking about just now really, really speaks to that. I think that he was really at first thinking it was going to be very passive for him. Mm-hmm. But then you came on board. It sounds like he got energized and fired up again. Yeah. So talk more about some of those things that you saw him doing that really that when you came on board, it really kind of uh, lit a spark and really got your business going that much more. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is when he had me around, he saw somebody else with the same level of commitment and energy. And, you know, that's something I like to talk about a lot is, you know, making yourself invaluable, you know, irreplaceable to somebody. And that I think he saw somebody who I was out trying to grow the business um, and I was taking on responsibility. You know, I would meet with people that usually in the past, it would always be things he would have to do or he didn't have somebody that he trusted to handle that situation. And I would do it. Um, and then it would go well. And I, what I saw him start to do, which he hadn't been doing at the time, was just really generating business. And he had been he had been around in the community, you know, much longer than me. And I think he had the ability all along to do more of it. But maybe he didn't have the motivation of somebody else who would help um, carry the load in an entrepreneurial manner, meaning twenty four seven. You know, right. so him and I were both taking calls at midnight in the early days or um, meeting with clients on a Sunday, you know, all the things that maybe not every, you know, nine to five employee had done for him in the past. So really where I give him a lot of credit is he just started, whether it was making phone calls or in, in, I remember I'll give him a lot of credit. He saw, uh, we do, we even have gotten now into some government contracting where we have some pretty large property management contracts with state uh, facilities and, he saw an RFP in the paper and, you know, was all of a sudden saying, hey, we got to go do this. You know, we, and I'm like, OK, you know, so um, really the biggest difference was he when I say energized, um, he was never lazy before. He just was sure. it was energized to take the business and continue to double it each year, you know, rather than just keep it what it was doing. He was energized to continue to grow it, which was uh, which was fun. So That's you awesome. got you you guys were basically pushing each other to grow the business. So you came in, you sparked something, and and then he kind yes. of took the gauntlet and then ran with it. And and so together you just made a good team that actually like drove the business forward. So yes. when you when you first came in, how big was the business? How many employees? How many uh, how many units did you have under management? And yeah. and then where did that grow to? Yeah, when we started, it was probably close to two hundred units, with you know half of them being his. So maybe a hundred third-party management. We had uh, one administrative employee and uh, one or one and a half maintenance uh, people helping out. That was really it. Um, now today, it's grown. The property management side, we've got eight people in our office doing administrative work. Uh, probably ten maintenance people, plethora of uh, independent contractors that work for us regularly. And then we've also started, I'm sure, which we'll dive into more, uh, what spun off from the management business is a commercial cleaning business, which has well over 100, somewhere between 100 to 130 employees now. So. Wow. Okay. That's well, huge. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. Yep. So I, I know we've talked a good bit and, and anybody that's interested in hearing more about the property management business, there was a great episode on the Bigger Pockets real estate podcast uh, where you talked about your property management yep. business. But now that you mentioned the cleaning business, I think I'm a, I'm a little bit intrigued. Yeah. So can, can you tell us a little bit about how the property management business led you to start the cleaning business? What was the impetus there? Um. I would say uh, property management is a great springboard for any of the, uh, you know, kind of blue collar physical labor industries. I mean, you're you're in control of heating, plumbing, lawn care, snow removal, janitorial. So as much of it as you want to dive in and do, you can do. So uh, me being young and uh, just trying to 
do as much as I can. I was dabbling with a little bit of all of that. We were hiring our own maintenance guys. Uh, we were doing more of our own lawn care, snow removal. And then um, I think after the way it really began was when you're in charge of a, so we, we manage some commercial space. And so when you're in charge of a commercial building, the complaints come to you. If it's too hot, if it's too cold, they're going to call you. And the one thing that we were having the biggest headache with was cleaning. So if you rent an office, huh. yeah. So if you lease an office space, sometimes the common areas um, have restrooms, the hallways, the lobby. And if you have a nice, say, law firm paying, say, six, $7,000 a month rent, they get tired of complaining about the cleaning and they call you, which then my model at the time was I call whoever, ABC Cleaners, and I just let them know about it. And then I pray that it gets better. And so for these these commercial cleaning jobs, these are the people that come in after hours. Yep. Uh, the business locks up at night and the cleaning people come in late at night or the middle of the night. And they do that basically five days a week or maybe seven days a week, depending on the business. Right? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And, and, and I'm sorry, one more question on that to verify. So it was like the ABC cleaners that you mm-hmm. called that they basically just didn't do that good of a job is what it all boiled down to. Because frankly, I'm, I guess I was, I'm a bit surprised to hear. And I, I guess you go into different office buildings and yeah, ladies rooms certainly are not where they need to be. So I can totally get that. That said, overall, I guess I was just surprised to find that that was such a common complaint among so many different mm-hmm. of your different tenants and that. So, so it was a realistically that these third-party companies just weren't doing that good of a job at the end of the day. Um, I'd say sometimes, but also it's a hard business to monitor when it's a third party. It's constant cleaning. Cleaning is always, I mean, it's every day. So unlike say heating, cooling issue, typically you fix it and it's fixed for a long time. Um, If there's a cleaning issue, that building gets dirty again. And when it's not you or your people, a lot of times it's hard to figure out what's going on. I mean, sometimes there's logistical things where there's complaints because, you know, the cleaner's coming in at five and you don't even know it, but people are coming in later at seven or eight and still tracking up the lobby. And there's all sure. these things that you, you're you trying to dive into and figure out what's going on. And the first time that I just said, okay, screw it, I'm going to just hire uh, one cleaning person and take care of this building. That's how it began. Um, wow. Yeah, that's how it began. So, so how'd you find that one person? Back then, I think like way back then it was just, Craigslist, you know, I had no idea what I was doing and my interview was just pretty laid back and hired somebody. So not much to it back then. I was winging it. Now there's a whole, you know, system and process and we use applicant tracking software and onboarding and human capital management and all sorts of stuff now. And I I assume that first person was just a contractor. They came in with their own tools. They came in with their own cleaning supplies um, and basically... The, the relationship was they came in and did the job and you handed them a check. No, I mean, actually, the first time we did it was I wanted um, I wanted my own employee, you know, oh, so okay. we, you know, somebody no, okay. yeah, no, had our own employee. You know, we had a little bit of experience with having our own maintenance people at the time. We only had a few maintenance people. Um, so we had some basically more like handymen that worked for us. So if you called us for, uh, on an apartment with an issue, we could send a guy over and fix it. So we had a few, you know, we had a small payroll. So at the time it seemed like a natural progression. Let's hire, you know, a cleaning person, put them on the payroll. And then it was better to me. I could say you're hired to be in this building from five to 7 p.m. And back then we would just trust that they did it or I would spy on them and things like that. Now you use things like technology, uh, you know, apps on their phone with geofencing. We know where all our people are at all times. It's a whole situation now. So how did you, okay, so you had this one person mm-hmm. and this one person was cleaning, was your employee cleaning from 5 to 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Did that person work out? Yeah, it did. I mean, in the beginning where I was the manager of it myself and there was no middle management, everything worked out great. Um, and this is probably a story a lot of entrepreneurs you know, have experienced where I don't know what employee number it was, but word of mouth would kind of spread. If you're doing a good job, somebody else would say, hey, I heard you guys do some cleaning. And in a community where you're already doing property management, you have a lot of contacts anyway. So you go from one office to two office to three offices. And then, it, and it was at the time so easy because I handpicked every employee. I could literally do my own quality control. I could stop in, I could meet with the customers. I could inspect the buildings and everything was easy. Everything went perfect. And then, I don't know, maybe around, I'm going to guess employee 30, it started getting hard. 
you know. Okay. I would suspect so. And and so you're talking about 30 employees here. Mm. So give me an idea. So typical employee is going to work how many different buildings in a night. And so 30 employees is going to cover how many different properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is uh, something that's changed over the years. You know, in the beginning, I would take on pretty much anything. So if it was a building that got cleaned twice a week, if it was something that we went in once a week and uh, just shampooed carpets or whatever it was, I would do it. That was part of the journey of a lot of stress. Now we've now we've really figured out our niche and our business model where 90% of our properties that we provide cleaning for are more five nights a week. So people that want nightly cleaning. Um, and that makes it a lot easier to manage your staff and to schedule and to put supervision in place instead of um, you know, we don't have a fleet of vans that are coming and going all the time. We now have mostly larger facilities, you know, anything from medical facilities, schools, courthouses, an airport, all sorts of stuff where people have to show up to the job site every night um, and clean. So that's, Got it. that's, so that's what they, we've moved uh, it towards now. Yeah. So are they have on-site supply closets and things like yeah. that. So basically for you, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, centralizing the the cleaning in each of the buildings and then just sending people to different places. You don't have, like you said, you don't have to send vans of cleaning supplies and equipment to different buildings. Yeah, absolutely. And I used to do a little more of that. I mean, we still do have a warehouse with supplies and all that, but way less of that now. So if somebody calls me now and says, hey, can you give me a price to uh, wash our windows? The answer now is no, unless you're interested in, you know, regular services. Okay. So I have a question. So you mentioned it was around employee number 30, that things began to get hard, right? So what, 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 what kind of, what was it around? Was there a tipping point when you realized, whoa, we're at just some type of critical mass now. I can't run to all these places at the same time. What, how did you start thinking differently about your business and what kind of stuff did you put in place to start streamlining? I think it started being, um, I couldn't keep my you know hand on the pulse of where everybody was all the time. I couldn't supervise it all. And so what I started learning to do, I mean, we used to back then, people would literally, you know, sign a, a, a paper log of what, when they came and left a building and we'd collect the paper logs and that's how we'd pay them. You know, well, you can imagine some people started to learn to lie on that. So uh, stop right you know. there. Give me a good story. Tell me a good story about someone learning to lie. Oh, someone learning to lie. I call them when I'm standing in my car asking them um, what they're doing. And they say, oh, I'm just finishing up the vacuum right now. Uh, and I'm watching them out in their car uh, s- smoking something um, maybe illegal, wow. maybe not illegal. You know, that that type of wow. stuff. Wow. So, That's fun. That's yeah. fun stuff. So um, yeah. I, I imagine a lot of this, a lot of these types of issues can be mitigated by hiring. And mm-hmm. uh, I know you've talked a little bit in the past on, on the, the real estate podcast, a little bit about your hiring practices and how important hiring is to you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, that's, I'd say that's everything, especially in a, um, especially in a, you know, a tight labor market right now where everybody's fighting for, you know, um, hands-on labor. So we're, I would say the thing we do the most right now is we spend a little more money advertising and we're going through, even for an entry level custodial job, we will interview six, seven, eight people before we hire one. Um, wow. And I don't think most people do that. Um, so we will do that. Um, we'll spend a little more money running thorough background checks on everybody. The simple step of calling references, it's amazing what you find out. I mean, that's probably one of my favorite stories. I had somebody who I thought was a perfect candidate and I almost just said, Hey, can you start tomorrow? Middle-aged lady, uh, very pleasant, had a good resume. And I think we ran her background check. It came fine. But one of her references, she had put that the business had sold and the woman that she used to work for uh, passed away. So you couldn't get a hold of her. I said, Oh, that's terrible. But for whatever reason, we did our due diligence and we called the company she used to work for and they verified, yeah, the business did sell, but no, she's alive. I can give you her number if you want. Oh boy. I'm like, what? This is going to get really good. <laughs> I'm like, what? So we called the lady and she didn't want to talk too much about it. She said, I'd rather not talk about the employee. And she said, but I would just tell you that drugs are a problem in our community. 
And I said, wow. whoa, whoa. Wow. So what, you, you can't trust people in an interview. That's what it, that it was. It's like a real estate deal. You can't just go off of gut, right? You got to go back to the numbers. And that's what you learned in the hiring practice is you go, you go back to the data. You know, do they check? So now we have a hiring checklist, you know, do they check off the boxes? Um, and before you just hire somebody. So, so yeah. what kind of turnover do you have for your, uh, for your cleaning employees these days? It's not too bad. I, I think the industry in general is going to be higher than most. You know, you get a lot of good people who want to do it as a second job, but people don't necessarily do something as a second job forever. So even there is, I would say more turnover than a regular business, but at least through a little more screening of people, we don't have people that quit with no notice as much. So you have a little better, uh, you know, clientele of employees who will at least give you proper notice and things like that. But it's a, it is common, unfortunately, in the cleaning business where somebody will take maybe a part-time evening job for five or six months and then give their notice. And then we've had a lot of repeat hires too, though. You know, I've had people that have worked for me three times. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And they... You know, life, you know, everybody's got their own stuff going on. So life throws them curveballs. And as long as they are respectful to us as employers and they leave on good terms, we've got some good employees that we'll get a call and haven't heard from them in a year. And we'll say, yeah, come on back. When can you work? You know, so. um, Awesome. So what year was it that you hired your first cleaning employee? Probably was until around 2012, really. 2000, about 2012, it was small, a couple, one or two people back then. Okay, so you started in 2012. Here we are seven years later. You said you're up to about 130 people. Presumably, somewhere in there, it, you stopped going from just hiring cleaning people to putting some type of structure in place, a management structure. So can you talk about like at what point the business grew to a size where you had to start putting in managers or maybe managers of managers? And, and what does your organization look like over the years through today? Yeah, probably it always happened. I don't know if this is the best advice for the listeners, but this is the truth that it always happened too late. I didn't have the crystal ball to say, this is what we should do. It was always after things were too stressful and then something went wrong that we realized, you know, I bet a human resource person would be a great idea. You know, so, <laughs> so yeah, now we have an operations manager that oversees the day to day, you know, he's there in the day. So he, his title is operations manager, probably more of a general manager at this point. Uh, we have a human resource person. And what's nice about having a property management business is I can share some of the admin and the accounting backside. So that is the that one is nice. that is the one overlap, you know, answering the phones, taking messages. Um, at this point, it is two separate businesses completely. Um but having multiple businesses, there is an upside to that where uh, the accounting team can be helpful because there is a lot that goes into the back end where we're tracking how much we're spending on labor very closely and materials. A lot of our contracts, I supply chemicals and equipment. Some of our contracts, I mean, I supply all the toilet paper. So you have to have some accounting systems in place where I know exactly what we spend on paper towels every month um, or you'll get burned. Uh, Certainly. And I have. So I share a little bit of the accounting and the admin, but on the cleaning uh, side, there's human resources, there's operations. And then because 90 plus percent of our force is working at night, we have uh, multiple supervisors on at night is how we do it. You know, you have some of the sites are large enough. And this is a little bit like real estate where, you know, things tend to multiply. Um, You know, you if somebody can go from owning a duplex, they go to then owning 10 units where we went from cleaning a building that had one person in it to all of a sudden, the reason it grows exponentially is you're, um, you're cleaning a building that has 10 people in it every night. You know, we've cleaned a school that had 10 full-time employees, 10 full-time people every night in it. So then, all, huge job. So then all of a sudden that site alone warrants its own on-site supervisor, you know? So uh, we have some sites that are big enough that there's a site supervisor. And then we have some kind of roaming we call them field supervisors at night that um, they have. And now we use a lot of technology, a lot of software, you know, we use, um, you know, like a work order software that monitors where all the employees are. Um, It does quality control inspections. Um, Employees can communicate back when they're short on supplies. You can pre-program the job for the whole year of everything that needs to get done and they can close out the jobs as they go. So, um, much like the property management business, I've really leaned on technology to scale, you know, and I think both those fields, um, not enough people in my area anyway, do that. You know, it was the same with property management where there wasn't a lot of 
competition in this area, people using modern property management software that gives the proper transparency. So I kind of took what I learned from there and did the same thing with janitorial. I mean, our customers can submit work orders themselves and see when they get closed out. So it's nice. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So it sounds like um, through the growth from 2012 until now in these seven years, these 135 employees putting in different layers of people, it sounds like internally as well as at the job sites. You take that, you combine it with systems and processes and technology. Um, It sounds like uh, your role has probably changed a lot, your personal role, right? It sounds like you're like much more involved in the beginning. How did that change over time? And, and what is your role now? How did that all evolve? Yeah, I mean, my role now, I'm still, you know, I, I like to work. So I went to Florida last week and everybody in the office told me that it was nice not having me around. So <laughs> I, I think that's a, a good thing. You know, like I've talked about in the property management business, I've I've been really fortunate to just hire really good people. I mean, in the leadership team that I have, uh, I mean, there's some turnover, of course, on the entry level labor market, but the management team that we've put around us, uh, we've had very low turnover. So I've been lucky that way, but I'm still, I like to come to the office, you know, every day. I'm still very involved, but now what I've learned is uh, through using technology is to have the right reporting. So there's things that we look at as daily reports and weekly reports and on the cleaning side, it's everything from, uh, you know, punch variances. So I can get a report of every employee, the ones that are red flagged, that if they were scheduled to work three hours, but they only work two hours and 15 minutes, it hits my report and I can see it and I can pass it along to the right supervisors to figure out what's going on. So it's a lot of looking at reports. You know, I think like a lot of business owners, as something grows, you're really, you end up looking at data all the time. Um, sure. is what a lot of it is. And so are all of your cleaning customers coming through your property management business or are you doing marketing for cleaning customers outside of property management? Are you taking on customers that don't necessarily, are not necessarily in your property management portfolio? A good question. That's certainly how it grew. That was the bulk of our business was people that we were already um, involved with somehow. And now the cleaning business has become its whole own thing. I it, We started, we had to start a new company. We call it Three Point Cleaning. That's just kind of a reference to uh, my partner and I both really like basketball. So that, that was pretty simple. You know, we're big basketball fans. And now it comes through mostly word of mouth, honestly. I mean, I I hate to say it. The only marketing budget we have right now is through more like charitable events. So we'll sponsor things that, you know, get your name on things. Um, but, other than th- but other than that, you know... Um, you know, like we do a lot of things for, you know, like we were talking earlier, we do things for the local YMCA. Uh, we So we just do lots of charitable events where we sponsor things that our name is out there. But other than that, we don't, we really don't have a marketing budget. And to be honest, if we're still taking on business as fast as I feel like we can handle it. And we've been lucky to, you know, probably one of the things I've learned, one of the biggest things I've learned from cleaning is, and I've learned this the hard way is to only take on business if it makes sense numbers wise. Sometimes you can have that competitive itch to, you know, just, just do it so that you can say that you do it. You know, um, you know, you want to brag and say that school is cleaned by me, but I've learned to just take the accounts that make financial sense. And now we've gotten ourselves into a place where we have some leverage. We just started an account last month where they told us we were the highest bid, but that they really wanted to work with us. Could, so, so could we come back in and, and negotiate a little bit and get down, get down to the, you know, the real nitty gritty on it. And we were able to work something out. So yeah, we're taking on accounts right now. And I, I, I truly feel right now that the opportunity is there for any of these industries, whether, you know, like I said, whether it was heating, plumbing, lawn care, snow removal, anybody that wants to be an entrepreneur and dig in and provide a good service and communicate back to the customer regularly I think it's endless what you can do. I mean, um, there's there's really no barrier to entry for that type of uh, market. That, that's interesting. And I know you mentioned financial sense. So for those of our listeners that are like thinking about starting a cleaning business or mm-hmm. thinking about starting other other service business, maybe in the real estate or contracting world or any a service business in any world, like can you walk us through what the economics of your business look like? So at 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 from an income standpoint, basically, these companies are paying you probably either hourly or weekly or monthly or annually, depending, I guess, on the contract, to come in and clean their building or buildings. 
some number of times. Mm -hmm. And then on the expense side, so what are we looking at on the expense side? You obviously have employee salaries, you have cleaning equipment and and tools and materials. Are you providing cars or vans? Are you providing, what other types of expenses do you have typically? Yeah, good questions. Um, The first part of it, I've learned the bigger customers, when you start off with some of the smaller ones, they're okay with, you know, maybe hourly rates or uh, weekly rates. What I learned the hard way is when you get in with the big customers, they really like to set their budgets for the year. So they want to know this is my you know line item for cleaning for the year and they want it billed monthly. So you really need to know what you're doing when you get into that type of arrangement, because you're, you know, you're going to send your invoice out at the end of the month. And most people are net 30, so they're not going to just turn around and cut you a check tomorrow. So you've paid all of your expenses, you know, for the month. Um, sure. And then even a good customer, they're probably going to take 20 to 30 days to pay because it's not because they can't, but because they're busy and they've got it sitting in a stack of 500 other invoices to get paid. So meanwhile, by the time that next invoice, by the time that first invoice hits your bank account and you've been paid, you've already done another um, 30 days of expenses. So you have all those things like you, you know, you nailed it. Labor is the biggest thing. And then, you know, payroll taxes, fees, workers comp training, you know, and then whatever overhead you have, which so anybody who's starting out, that's your competitive advantage is you don't have the overhead. You don't have the office space that we have now, and you don't have the layers of management and um, you should be able to make that line item smaller, but we have a little more overhead. And then based on the contract, you're going to have sometimes, uh, typically you're always going to supply the equipment and then sometimes you supply the chemicals and sometimes they do. And, and same thing, some people want you to include the paper towels and toilet paper just because they like to make that your problem. They want to, you know, if somebody runs out of paper towels, they want a number to call. So sure. it becomes your problem. They don't want to so. run over to Costco on their own. Right. Just like, call, call them up and make it happen. Yeah, make it happen. Make it the janitor's fault. So that's what we do. <laughs> Before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. Small business owners wear a lot of hats. And while some hats are really great, others like the filing taxes and running payroll hat, yeah, not so great. So that's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and managing a team actually easy for small businesses. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Oh, and you can even get direct access to certified HR experts, too. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. You can do it in less than 10 minutes. And if you're thinking, oh, I already work with tools like, say, QuickBooks. Well, get this. Gusto can integrate with those platforms so you can keep everything in one place all online. So listen up for this offer. Because you listen to Bigger Pockets Business, you get three months free when you run your first payroll on Gusto. This is one hat you're going to be glad you gave up. So try a demo and see for yourself at gusto.com slash BPB, like Bigger Pockets Business. Again, that's gusto.com slash BPB. So um, I'm curious, and, and I'm not going to ask you about personal financial numbers, but um, from a high-level perspective, so you get income in, you pay expenses, and then you have your your bottom line, your income minus your your expenses. And generally speaking, that bottom line is some percentage of your income. We call that the margin, yep. your, your operating margin. So for every $1,000 you take in, you might make $100 or $200 yep. or $500. So in the cleaning business, what are what are typical margins like for every dollar you take in, how many cents is actually going to end up flowing into your pocket? Yeah, good question. I mean, when you're doing like a bid sheet, you know, the last item, you, the last line item you always put in, you know, when you're playing with your numbers is going to be your profit, your anticipated uh, profit there. And it's usually done on a percentage. So most people, I think, depending on how hungry you are, you're anywhere from 10 to 30, 10 to 30 percent is where is where you usually see it and it's usually the larger the job you know the more you'll you'll bring those margins down if, you know because if it's a million dollar a year job you might do it at 10 percent. you might do that for a hundred thousand dollars a year it really comes down to it, it it's a lot like the construction business where it's it can depend on how busy you are 
you know, you, you find that sometimes I'm sure, uh, I know you've done a lot of with construction, you know, you get bids from people, you can tell they've already got five jobs lined up. So they throw you the big one. Yep. Yeah. I'm guilty of doing that too. Sometimes, you know, I've already, it's similar. I've got three big jobs I'm starting and we're trying to hire for and, and staff. And yeah, so I throw out a crazy number to somebody. If you're busy, that's how you do it. If you're not busy, then you probably go down to that 10% range. The thing that I think a lot of people make the mistake of when they're starting out, though, is not understanding that cash flow part of it, though, that although on an Excel spreadsheet, and this is true for probably a lot of small business owners go through this. I know this was my real education is, you know, you're looking at your checking account early in the early stages and there's not enough money in there. But you say, well, everything's going according to plan. And I, and I bid this at 25 percent. Why don't I have all this money there? Um, and that's one of the things you have to make sure that you do bid it at enough of a profit margin that you calculate how fast that money goes out versus how fast it comes in because the expenses are, are always there. So Yeah, that, that's a really good point. You mentioned earlier about the fact that you're going to be paying for your cleaning supplies and you're going to be paying for your health insurance and you're going to be paying your employee salaries. You're going to be paying that, let's say, in March but you're not actually going to be collecting a check from from your customer until mid-April, late April. So you're putting that money out. If you have one job, you may be out $1,000, $1,500, $2,000 for the month. And a lot of people think, well, if I scale, if I can get 100 jobs or 1,000 jobs, that's going to make my business a lot more profitable. But the problem that comes is that with 100 jobs or 1,000 jobs, instead of being out $2,000 for a month, you're now out $200,000 for a yeah. month. And, and, then you, and then you throw in growth with that. That's, yeah. it can be a problem if you only, if you stay with what you're doing, but if you go land, we landed a large job um, that I spent $25,000 in equipment. Bang. Just like that. Right you off know? the bat. I mean, a, I mean, a nice commercial vacuum is $500, you know? So if you need five of them, you got to go get five of them. Um, and then there's some other equipment that you get into. I mean, there's some floor machines and there's, you know, window cleaning equipment and all this stuff that, you can spend the money quick and then, but those people, they, they're, you know, your vendors that you buy stuff from, they want to get paid right away. So if you keep adding new business and the old business doesn't have big enough margins, you can be in trouble pretty quick. And that's just something I think a lot of people that are in the early stages of being small business should really think about. Um, doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it. It just means you should plan for it. I didn't always plan for that, but I will say I'm very fortunate that the property management company and then some other real estate investments um, at the same time were going well. You know, so at the same time, I was very much so into real estate. So I had this other cash flow machine that could help fund a new business, too. Um, if I didn't have those things going, I probably would have been at the bank in the early stages looking for help on the cleaning business. And, I'm, and again, I'm sure a lot of you know small business owners have been through that same stuff. They don't teach you that in college, so... Uh, absolutely. Right. Ca cash flow management is one of those things that uh, way too many entrepreneurs uh, and business owners don't think about until it's actually biting, biting them in the yeah. butt. Yeah. I mean, we, we get into government work and it's happened a couple of times that a large state facility that we were cleaning, uh, you know, they had some issues on their end, whether it was politics or Somebody got fired. I don't know, but we, we've had them take four to five months to pay us on something. And then it all comes in at once. But, you know, there's not a lot of complaining you can do to the government when they haven't paid you yet. <laughs> I just got to kind of deal with it, right? And your employees, you know, you're not going to go to your employees and say, hey, guys, sorry, we're all going to clean for free tonight because there's some issues going on at the Capitol, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not going to fly. No, not by any stretch. No. Not by any stretch. No. So you're at 130 people now in your cleaning business. Um, what are your goals from here? That's a great question. I'm probably guilty of not being good enough at some of these people that really look and plan, you know, five-year plans. It's, it's something I'm trying to get better at. I mean, I'm business books. I think I'm 80% through, you know, uh, traction. You know, I bumped into, uh, you know, your friend, uh, Brandon Turner, uh, uh, at one of the, uh, real estate events I went to and he was telling me to read traction. So yes, I'm 80% 80, 80 through and that's stuff I, you know, honestly should get better at. I'm much more of just a go, 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 go and, uh, make it work. But right now I've got a nice balance of, I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy the cleaning business because, it keeps growing. So it's fun to keep having these challenges. It's, it's fun to, uh, one thing about cleaning is you, you make relationships with other businesses in the community. 
the you know the big businesses in the community all need. It's a service everybody needs. And it's a service you can be somebody's hero at. So I've made a lot of nice relationships with other business owners in the community that way. And to be honest, every dime that I make from cleaning, if it doesn't get reinvested into the cleaning business, uh, it just goes right into real estate. So uh, there you go. So it's a, it comes full circle. <laughs> it just right? keeps That's going great. into the next real estate deal. So hey, uh, love that. And yeah. and I want to touch just a bit more on you mentioned earlier. Your marketing budget is essentially zero. And that's a beautiful thing, especially like near and dear to my heart. I love the fact that the things you are spending money on is is, uh, sponsoring charitable things and sponsoring a team at the Y and that type of thing. And it sounds like you're you're saying that you feel like you need to plan better, you need to read more, et cetera. But it really sounds to me that your secret sauce is simply building relationships and just talking to people, right? Oh, so, absolutely, yeah. Right, is in, in which I also find really refreshing now because I know so many people who are afraid to just pick up that phone. So mm-hmm. many people are so email dependent. So I'm yes. going to shoot them a note on Facebook or whatever. Can you give our listeners some tips around why that's so important and how you really think that's set you apart and made a big difference for your business? People in the office will tell me it's like my weirdest quality that I just love to the need to call people because other people, especially some of the younger people that work for me, don't think you need to call anybody. But a lot of our customers have dealt with cleaning issues for a long time. And a lot of our customers have even hired their own cleaning staff and it didn't go well. So it's amazing how understandable people are when you have a relationship. I mean, I have picked up the phone before and called somebody and said, hey, I got to apologize. You wouldn't believe what happened last night. And, and just told them the truth. You know, we, sure. we had somebody quit on us last night, um, had a bit of a meltdown and the job didn't get finished and, and we're sorry. Uh, we're going to make it up to you this weekend. And they're like, oh, I really appreciate you calling. That's great. I don't think enough people do that to just call and talk, check in with the customers. I don't, you know, you have to make people feel comfortable to tell you the truth. Um, the accounts that we worry about are the ones you never hear from. Um, yes. The ones that people call and complain a lot are the ones I like because clearly they feel comfortable to talk to us. You know, they're engaged. Yeah, they're engaged. They trust you. They they think you're going to be responsive. Um, so those are the customers I like, and I have to remind our staff that sometimes. Well, they'll say, "Oh, this customer over here is you know whiny and high maintenance." And I'm like, "No, I love that guy. You know, totally. He's always okay. calling. He's telling us what's going on." That's right. You're going to get whatever information you need. I think there's a lot of power to, and and you're just talking about you're not only willing, but you're happy to pick up the phone and just full on admit your mistakes. I think that means so much as far as the customer experience and, and they love the transparency and they know that you're going to always take ownership of everything that's happening. Yeah. I had a, I had a recent story. I just thought of that your listeners might like, I had to speak to the relationships. One of these insurance offices, uh, insurance agency that we clean, um, and I built a good relationship with their owners, talked to them. They forwarded me an email with an attachment of a voicemail and it, the, and the caption in the, uh, well, the, the text in the email was, man, where did you find this guy? This is gold. And I listened to the voicemail. It is literally my, the guy's not gold, but he left, <laughs> he left a voicemail to my customer telling him how much I'm paying him. And that if they gave him a dollar raise, he would go work for them directly and cut me out. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I like to share the bad stories on these podcasts too, you know? And let me tell you something. This is where having a good relationship with your customers is so important because if you didn't have that relationship with your customer, well, one, they might actually take him up on that offer, but two, who knows how many other customers he's doing the same thing to and you may never have known. Right. Yeah. So he forwards it to me with just a funny remark of, man, this guy is gold. Where did you find him or something? And I'm like- (laughs) You know, so it's, it's about relationships. That's right. People know that we're not perfect, but as long as we, you know, own it and, and just fix it. So, yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So you have the property management company and that is a great lead generation source for your cleaning company. Have you started any other businesses in the space using your, uh, either your cleaning business or your property management business as a lead gen source? We've dabbled a little bit with lawn care, snow removal. We still do some of it. Just kind of cherry pick a few good accounts, a few large complexes that we do the snow removal ourselves. Because I'm up here in Maine, so there's some money in yep. snow removal. The only other business that we've done, I mean, honestly, the cleaning has been so fast, uh, so fast growing. That has taken uh, most of our attention in terms of growth that way. 
the property management company is also still growing. So those two are both growing. I mean, the management company is over 2,000 units now. And the third business that we do have, which I guess did spin off, I talked about it when I was on the real estate show, was the motel that we purchased is is going pretty well. So um, that is technically a whole separate business. It's only got three employees. It's a 67-room motel, but it does have three full-time people that all are on site every day. And that's, that is a good example of a spinoff from a property management company because it we actually, a little unconventional, even use our property management software. Uh, we tweaked it a little bit to run the motel, which I don't think most people would do, but I wanted to so that we could just keep it all in-house so that my same administrative team here, the accounting folk here can um, look at it and I, and I can look at it right in-house. So yeah. I can pull up the app. Uh, I use Rent Manager. I can use the app on my phone. Um, and I can see who's, you know, checked in or checked out of the motel just from the hand of, uh, right from the phone. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Okay. So let me ask you a question. We have a number of listeners who may be thinking about starting new businesses, or maybe they're in the real estate world and they're thinking about expanding into their next business. And after listening to you, maybe they're now thinking, oh, cleaning company might be a reasonable business to go after. Mm -hmm. So Let's say I wanted to start a cleaning business tomorrow. Hmm. What are some tips that would help me kind of get started and, and get my first customers? And, and what, what, what are the first steps I should be taking if I want to start my own cleaning business? Uh, any small business, what I would do is I would definitely create a nice professional website because that's so simple now. I mean, everybody um, should be able to do that. And it doesn't need to be a $10,000 website with tons of... Um, you know, search engine optimization money thrown at it. But number one, I would just look professional. Um, I would get um, your self-insurance, even if it's literally just you cleaning. I mean, um, you still show that you're insured. So if something happens and, and this is li- liability insurance, yeah, liability insurance. Uh, some people will ask you to be bonded. Um, and okay. if it's just you, it's not very expensive, but get some business cards, get a little website. And then step one, Start, you know, doing some door knocking, some cold calling. I mean, it's pretty easy to, at this point, we turn, I probably turn down one to two leads a week and I'm completely fine with that. I mean, that's kind of one of those lessons of learn to say no. Uh, We get a lot of calls of people saying they want once a week service, uh, once a month, come clean our office. We're not doing that, Um, but that's a whole field that somebody just starting could do tomorrow easily. But so I've seen people put little door hangers on offices, go through office buildings and put, you know, Jay's cleaning service with a number and a business card, fully insured and a link to your website and free estimate. And I think if you walked around, uh, you know, office complexes and drop those off, um, your phone would probably ring. So, so, and if I, if I were to walk into a business, who am I talking to? Am I talking to the CEO? Am I talking to an HR person? Is there, that's uh, a funny question. there's probably not a head of cleaning. No, that's a funny question. That is, that is the million dollar question. Cause we've learned that cleaning is a little sensitive subject in everybody's office, like who's in charge of it. And it is different. I mean, sometimes you do have to talk to the business owner, but most of the time you don't. Uh, most of the time there's just somebody in the office that that's their, that's their thing. So if you just, I would talk to whoever you get on the phone first um, and just say, hey, I'm, I'm Jay's cleaning and I want to give you guys a free estimate anytime. Love to love to just give you guys a quote. Um, no obligations. And and then it just it, it's like everything. It's a, it would be a ripple effect. I wouldn't mislead people and say you could go and make a million dollars in the first six months. That's going to be tough. But it would be easy to pick up small business at first. And then it's amazing. Some of these small businesses know a lot of other people. We've had you might have a small business that is only, say, two hours a night of cleaning, but they're an engineering, they're a small engineering firm, and they know some other really big companies. And this is what's happened with us, is the phone rings to us, and it's a you know large construction company. And I, how'd you hear about us? Oh, so-and-so engineering said that you use, uh, they use you and they're happy. Like, oh, okay, excellent. So it's wonderful. So yeah. back to that just importance of giving a good service, mm-hmm. being professional, building those relationships, talking to people, and it just keeps on going. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. 
Great. Well, thank you. These are all excellent tips. And I really appreciate the the step-by-step breaking it down for new people on what they should be doing. I think that's going to provide a ton of value. So now we'd like to take you to the part of our podcast, Jesse, that we call Four More. Okay? Oh, great. So I know you got to love it, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to ask you four questions. And then at the end, we're going to talk about more. And the more is where we can find out more about you. All right? Okay. Okay, so Jay, you take the first question. Okay, question number one. Tell us about your absolute worst job and what lessons did you learn from that job that you're using today? I would probably say, because we, we, we touched on it earlier, probably where I got one of my uh, strengths of you know being willing to talk to people on the phone, cold calling people. One summer uh, when I was home from college, I, I went back home after my freshman year of college and uh, stayed with my parents and I had to get a job. I sold credit cards over the phone all summer. Oof. And the only reason I took that job at the time, there was two uh, girls I went to high school with that were very cute um, <laughs> and they were working there. So I worked with them uh, and we, we used to carpool. Neither of them ended up dating me, but I did um, learn to talk on the phone. So you kind of get forced in, in that role. I mean, it, it was awful. I hated it. They monitor what you do. My numbers were good, but I used to get in trouble for cutting the conversation short because I knew that it wasn't going to be a sale because you'd make commission. So when I'd have somebody on the phone that wasn't interested, you're supposed to keep going through the prompts and I wouldn't do it. But then like a voice would come on over my other headset and somebody was listening to me. Maybe one of my bosses saying, you're doing it again. Oh yeah. And they would want you to just keep on going, even though you got it done yep. to a science where you knew they weren't going to engage, yep. like just keep going. They want you to exhaust oh, every that, lead. They pay for those leads. So, Oh, that must've made, must made you crazy. Yeah. And they could track everything. When the, when the phone ended, the next call would just take, when the call ended, I mean, the next one just began, it's ringing. And then so-and-so would answer and the script would be in front of you. And you just do that like a machine all night. It was awful. Yeah. It sounds awful. It was brutal. But you got good at talking on the phone and that became a, a beautiful Yeah, thing, you so you learn awesome. to not feel uncomfortable on the phone because yeah. um you have to be able to just That's right. break through and, and talk to people. And the worst they can do is say no. That's always the worst case scenario. Absolutely. Right? So speaking of saying no, what our second question is what is some big opportunity that you said no to at some point? And in retrospect, you think it was the right decision to do that. The retrospect is probably when I was working for the resort management company, they'd kind of been grooming me through the management path. They had made me work in every asset of the hotel. So I had, I had been a food and beverage manager. I'd been a front office manager. And this is right around the time I was trying to make a decision whether I was going to leave beautiful Florida to go try to take this other opportunity up in Maine. Uh, one of my bosses called me into the office and said, that he came from a meeting with his bosses and that um, the company was buying a big resort in New York and there was a promotion available and they wanted to send me there. So it was tempting. Mm -hmm. But again, it kind of reinforced that even with that company, which was a good company, your destiny is going to be based on where they send you, you know? So to go make more money, I'm going to have to go to New York, even though I liked Florida. So that was a good opportunity that came my way um, in my career path. But I said, no, and I, I'm happy. I think it was, I think it was the right thing. Totally the right decision. Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, okay. Question number three, what's the worst advice you've been given or worst advice that's common in your industry? And how would you change that into good advice? I'm not sure about my industry specifically, but I think in business in general, I had a lot of people when I was uh, kind of starting to grow the business that some of the things I was doing, I had, whether it was other colleagues or friends or family that would tell me to stay small, to not become so reliant on other people that, you know, it's going to become stressful because I was doing so much hiring. And yeah, there's truth to that, but there's some people that the, I mean, if you go into it open-minded and know that eventually you, somebody is going to let you down, but you get through it and you hire somebody else and you learn from it. Um, I just remember lots of conversation about that, about you're better off, whether it's in management or cleaning, staying at the right number where you can control things. But to me, you're always just going to be doing the same thing and having a job. And I I think that's the biggest challenge for everybody who has an entrepreneurial spirit is trusting other people um, to do something for you. So I just remember that being a big, you know, hurdle and something that I, a lot of the naysayers I would, or people that had a little more negative um, attitude, we would talk about, but I would just keep hiring. And I'm glad I did, you know, because eventually you, you, 
you get through it and you learn from it and you hire better people. So that's right. And you optimize and systematized and look where you are now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So my fourth question is what is something Jesse that you've splurged on that was entirely worth it? (laughs) You, uh, so you mean like selfishly, not business-wise, just for myself? Anything, for yourself, for your business, whatever, wherever, however, whoever. A big old splurge. A big old splurge. Well, the biggest thing is my business partner, he's a lot more old school. And even though he has you know probably more money than me still, he's more conservative. He likes to make fun of me because I do have a pretty big house now. I will admit that I, you know, guilty pleasure. The house is bigger than I need. But it's nice when I drive in every day. I like it. So I was always, but I, I really do come from the mindset of always, uh, always living well below your means. I, I'm, my friends do call me cheap, to be honest. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm more of the frugal type. Even, you know, when my wife and I were first starting doing this, people like that know me now don't believe us, but we lived in half a mobile home. So oh. not a mobile home, but it half. was even cheaper. Somebody chopped half. it, somebody chopped it in half. So you just rented half of it, all utilities included. It was like 500 bucks. Oh, uh, it's a deal. Oh, it's great. <laughs> but isn't we that amazing? There. You can learn, you can, you can, yeah. if you have ever needed to, you can learn in such a small space. And then it makes your, your mansion like that much sweeter now, right? Oh, so it makes, it, makes so it so much better. Uh, sometimes I purposely will take the route to my office um, past the old mobile home. It's, it's right there. Somebody actually still has the same curtains that we we left there because they were terrible. Like it was like 10 years ago now. So we, we left them there and they're still there. So we laugh. Decades um, collecting dust. No, but other than that, the only splurges, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not very materialistic other than the house. You know, I, um, we like to vacation. So if we, if we get free time now, uh, when we do vacation, we stay at nice places and we, um, we just got back from Clearwater beach last week and it was beautiful. So nice. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so that was the four. Let's jump into the more. So for our listeners that want to find out more about you, how can they find out more about you? How can they contact you? If you're listening to this, you might be a fan of uh, the Bigger Pockets website. So uh, I'm on there quite a bit. People, uh, I tend to respond to those direct messages a little more um, because I, I tend to maybe like the people that are on that site more than some of the random emails I get. But I'm not a LinkedIn person. That's kind of obnoxious. But uh, I like Bigger Pockets. So you can find me. It's, I think it's just Jesse McHugh. You can find me at our property management website, which is mainrem.com or threepointcleaning.com is my cleaning company's website. And I think it has my email address on there and everything. Somebody can reach out to me there. Wonderful. Jesse, thank you so much. It has been absolutely awesome chatting with you. And just thank you for your time. I learned a ton. Thank you. Thanks Thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Wow. That was an awesome show. I love how in seven years, he's grown a business to 130 plus employees. I love the fact that he was able to take his property management business and basically use it as a lead gen site to to generate all these customers for his cleaning business, how he's actually not just his cleaning business, he's doing it for his snow removal business and his landscaping business. It's really cool. I agree. And I I also love how he was really able to break it down and say, hey, the labor's good out there right now. If you need cleaning, just go start a cleaning business. If you need a landscaper, just go start a landscaping business. He really breaks it down and shows manageable steps on how to make it happen and how to keep it going by providing a good service and just continuing to talk to people. Yep. And those tips for anybody out there who might want to start their own service business, he really made it sound easy. I don't think it's that easy, but... Definitely doable though, right? It seems achievable. Absolutely. I feel like uh, I want to go out and kind of start start my own cleaning business yeah, right I, now. I, I, I suspect it's going to happen. I, I can just see the writing on the wall. <laughs> All right, baby, let's wrap this up. All righty. Well, we are Carol and Jay. Now go pick up that phone and call someone today. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. 